Good morning. How are you? Um, my name is Barry. I know we've got a few visitors here this morning, so welcome to you. Uh, my name is Barry. I'm one of the one of the ministers here on on staff at St Paul's. It's really great to see you. Um, we've been doing um, a short series on the idea of community and, and what that means. And this morning, I want to talk about a community of love and unpack what I think that means, because those words are really rather too easy to use, aren't they? We love the idea of community, we love the idea of love, Um, but actually when it comes to real life, they need unpacking into something a bit more substantive and and tangible. So have a quick look around you at the moment, Uh, just just, just turn your heads and have have a see who's around you and say, do I love that person? And, and does that work for you? Do, okay, that, that, that's enough loving for, for a little while. Do I need to say any more? Um, I remember once, as a, as a, I don't know why this stuck with me, as a school kid getting into it. You know how you used to get teased at school? Oh, you love so-and-so. You love so-and-so. You love her. You love him, whatever it was. And someone once asked another friend of mine, do you love so-and-so? And he went, well, only in the Jesus sense. (laughs) And I I thought about that, and I thought, what you mean is, you don't give them a second thought. (laughs) That you are completely indifferent to them. And all you're doing is deflecting the embarrassment of this kind of romantic interrogation that you're getting from your peers. And this is pre-teenage, this is like eight or nine, I don't know why it's stuck with me. But I've always wondered in what sense is it that we are supposed to love each other and what does that mean? And of course as life goes on and unfolds, you encounter uh, that in reality and you work it out for yourselves. Love in the New Testament is acted out in this thing we call community, something which is has some kind of tangible expression, something that we can see and know. Um, anyone been to anything Olympic this week or past two or three weeks? I mean, don't mean necessarily live, but big screens or anything like that, or even wandered through the city. There is a sense of community, isn't there? There's, there's something, something that's pulled people together and enabled them to behave in a way that uh, perhaps they wouldn't ordinarily behave and, it, and I don't really know what that is, but it seems to me that when there is something that is outside of yourself, that unites you, that deflects you from self-centered thinking, then suddenly you start behaving as a community can. Now, I don't know whether at 10 o'clock tonight that will be switched off and we all revert back to being Londoners again. I don't know. Um, but I hope not, I really pray not, because something's been unlocked these past two or three weeks, which I think has been something special. But I don't think that is community. I think it's communal, and I think it has some traits of community. But it has a few other things which I don't think are the biblical idea of community. Firstly, it's temporary. It, it, it's gathering around something which is happening, which will have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and, we, and that end is, is tonight, isn't it? Secondly, it's built around goodwill and cheerfulness uh, and celebratory behavior. And and the whole of life is not like that, is it? It's not always in that sort of category. Uh, It's gathered around a single issue or an event 
whereas life is multifaceted, uh, very complicated, very interesting, and so on. And also it's fundamentally individualist. It's, it's, um, if you have a ticket, you go, you enjoy, you smile, and you come home. It's, some, it's community while you're there, and then it ends again, and then it reforms the next day, and then it ends. I think in the Bible, when we read about what God has in mind for us as a community of believers, he's talking about something much more than that. So Olympics Plus, if you like, is God's idea of community. Firstly, we, um, if we are believers, we share a blood link with each other. You know, the, the biblical pictures of brotherhood and sisterhood, being of a family uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ, something that is very intimate and special. And secondly, it's always expressed as something corporate, as something akin to a body. Most of the analogies that Paul uses are to do with eyes and ears and legs and hands and so on, and uh, gifts and fruit being distributed by God for people to use to bless each other. And this sense of interdependence, dependency on one another, which is expressed in this highest value of love. Community in the eyes of Jesus is something where we become willingly interdependent to each other and committed to the unity and health of us all, not just uh, to ourselves. And that's why when, when Paul writes about this, and, and the same is true of Peter, and the same is definitely true of John. He comes against those people who would divide that body up and split it one from another in the name of an idea, an ism, a piece of theology, or some kind of special idea which they set up as being over and above something other than Jesus Christ. And it, it strikes me, I spent a lot of time in 1 John this summer because I had to do a um, a series of seminars on it at, at New Wine and I thought, you know what this guy, this guy this apostle of Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved, had no time for divisive clever ideas it was all about love and if you read 1 John, and it will fit on one sheet of A4 the whole of 1 John it's all about love and unity and, and serving other people and being part of a body, not a cause. We are not committed to a cause. We're committed to a person who unifies us in his personality and his, um, and his blood, his sacrifice for us. If we allow what we do here to degenerate into a cause, an ism, then the people around us suddenly become a means to an end. They become somebody who's also contributing to that end rather than themselves. And we start to value people for what they can give and what they can bring and their talent and their gifting and that kind of thing. And we do value them for that. But it becomes only that. And I don't believe that is what Christian community is really all about, although it will always include the gifted and the, the committed and the passionate and so on. There is a word in, um, in the New Testament, a Greek word, called kononia, which is um, a, a word that tries to convey what Christian communion, Christian community is all about. And it, it, it's one of these things that takes a bit of unpacking, but essentially it means community by intimate participation 
with each other. It describes the relationship between the people of the early church, not just in the breaking of bread together, the, the classic meaning of the word communion, but the manner in which they lived and gave to each other. It's a sort of ideal state of fellowship, one to the other. And that community is held together by a bond of love. Firstly, it's a transforming concept. It changes the way people behave. They suddenly become committed to each other on a much deeper level than people who just belong to a club. This is, this is not a photography club or a cycling club or a swimming club um, brought together by one common interest. It's a body of believers that deeply cares for itself and will protect itself against those that will divide it. And that's what Paul is writing about here. Secondly, it's, it's a church or a community of everyone where not just one postcode or one income bracket or one race or one creed, but something where all those differences are set aside and we become one as a community of people. Um, in Jesus. And the lifestyle that sprang from that was something that Greece and Rome and the empire knew nothing about at the time that Paul was writing. This was a radical new form of living that was not stratified according to people's social status, but something that brought people together in the life and character of Jesus Christ. And it was astounding for people when they watched it. Um, the, the, the growth of the early church was founded not on a set of doctrines. They didn't have those doctrines at the time, but simply on the way in which the Spirit transformed the way people related to each other. And they were demonstrably and clearly loving. And that swept the empire so much so that within a couple of hundred years... It was unstoppable, and, and it had to become the official religion of the empire. And that's when the, prob the church's problem started, probably. As soon as it became official, it became codified, and it all became all, all down to doctrine and ideas, and that became a stumbling block. But that's another story. When um, a, a guy called Jerome, who was writing in the 4th century, wrote about John the Apostle, who wrote that uh, first letter that I quoted... He told this story. Um, John became very old, as we all will, of course, and um, was so um, weak physically that all he could say when his carriers brought him into the church was, little children love one another. Now, they actually became a bit tired of this. They sort of said, well, can't you say anything else? You know, is there nothing else that you have to say? And they say, why do you keep saying that? And he said... He said, because it's the Lord's command, and if only this is done, it is enough. So John the Apostle of Jesus said, if only you truly love each other, everything else will follow from it. Augustine, is writing at roughly the same time, said, love God with all your heart and then do what you like. Because he brought a link between the two things. So if you love God with all, you, all your heart... What you want to do will reflect that. It's not the get-out clause, it sounds like, if you really think about it. It's the key to living. So there are some things, I think, that we can be um, specific about here and, and start to hone this down and make it a little bit less wordy 
and um, up in the clouds. Firstly, the community of love looks like Jesus. If you look at uh, the passage that was read to us, um, uh, the, the context here is protecting that loving community from divisive false teaching. And Paul writes, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. So the community of love looks like and serves Jesus Christ. It's not about people serving their own egos and desires. It's not a hobby horse for people to express their talent and to show us how clever they are and how good they are. It's a place that is focused on Jesus Christ. If you take the person of Jesus Christ out of this community idea, you lose its cornerstone, its model, and the person who releases the spirit to empower us to live that way. There is no Christian community without Christ. And it is always our wish and desire and our guiding principle here that in everything we do, we are trying to bring people closer to Jesus. They have to meet him for themselves. They can't enter their name for them. I can't, it's not like the Masons who can't invite you in and make you a member. You do that of your own free will. But Jesus Christ is the center and the model for this life of, of love. The early church found out very quickly um, that the pen was mightier than the sword and it had to guard itself against invasive ideas that took the focus away from Jesus and started to build philosophical models around the whole thing and said, if you really want to be part of this, you need to believe this. It's either that or let's go back to Judaism and practice the religion, but with Jesus as the Messiah. All sorts of funny ideas crept in. And Paul is saying, no, it's the center of this is Jesus Christ. If you run ahead of that and don't continue in the teaching of Christ, then you're going to go wrong. John um, uh, wrote something even stronger. He said, whoever continues in this teaching has both the Father and the Son. But if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, in other words, goes away from Jesus, do not take them into your house or welcome them. So here was a community of love being told not to welcome or even sit at the same table as a certain group of people. And it's in the Bible. And it's limited only to those who would divide the church by teaching that takes us away from Christ. Necessarily include people who are acting immorally or sinning or failing or, or doing things that we would rather they did not. You know, the, the breadth and scope of human failure is accepted in this idea of community. It's what it's all about. But come into that community and steer it away from Jesus. And both Paul and John says such people should not even be welcome in your house. It's strong, isn't it? It's strong, but we need to guard our center. Uh, and that's what the, the apostles wrote. Secondly is this, so we've got centered on Jesus. Secondly, it's a distinctive and demonstrative love. I got Sue to start from verse 16, which is a slightly awkward place to start in the text, but it says this. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. 
That command there to greet each other with a holy kiss, whether you take it literally or not, is found five times in the New Testament. It's found in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 13, Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, and 1 Peter 5, as well as this verse in Romans. Paul and the the other uh, apostles were committed to the idea that other people would know that we love each other. That our love for each other would be obvious. And Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, the way that you are seen to love each other is the way people will know that you follow me. Open, visible intimacy and personal commitment. It may go beyond the social norm, especially in this country, of what is expected. It may surprise people. But it does speak of what we are as a body, that we we will greet each other and show in our lives visibly that that we love each other. It transcends things like our race, our economic status, our gender. Um, We know that that, that the the community that Paul is writing to is extremely mixed. And that in itself would have spoken um, hugely to the community around them. They didn't obey the rules and boundaries of the society around them. They crossed that through this gift of Christian love. Let's find ways of demonstrating to people that we are a community that loves each other. You know, this is, this is something which um, we can keep as a good secret. Once we get in, inside these walls, um, then um, it's easy to do. It's when we're outside, isn't it, that we need to be able to show to people that there is something different about the community of Jesus, something that is uh, much more powerful and um, goes against the grain of the things that we see in society abroad. A church grows, I think, when other people see the church loving itself. When other people see the church being confident, accepting, forgiving, and demonstrative in our love for each other. Why? Because it's a really attractive concept. And people say... I could do with some of that. That is an antidote to everything else I see around me. It's an antidote to the social norms of behavior. Here is a community that loves itself, not in an excluding way, but in a a sort of infectious way. You sort of catch this. And I suppose um, when I was... um, Writing this, I reflected on on this truth, which people sometimes say that the opposite of love is not hate. They're actually on two different continuums. The opposite of love is indifference. The opposite of love is simply not caring whether the person next to you is alive or dead, not hating them particularly. At least if you hate them, you've noticed they're there. And you may have some connection. Maybe we can work on that. You know, maybe we can deal with that. The opposite of love is actually indifference. A complete lack of, uh, of awareness of someone and their situation and so on. And when the world sees us not being indifferent to each other, when the world sees us as being committed to each other's welfare and future and well-being and joy and happiness... And it says, why? Why do those people do that? Why are they behaving in that way? 
And it's easy to see that when you wander around Olympic villages or, or Hyde Park or, or that kind of thing. You can see people being nice and you know the reason why. It's because they've been brought together because of this one factor, which is this temporary um, explosion of, of, of joy and participation. But, as I said before, we know that's going to come to an end. The Church of Christ never comes to an end. This community is forever and forever and forever. And we invite people to be part of that. Now, whether you want to greet each other with a holy kiss all the time, I don't really mind. I don't mind how you literally plan this out. But challenge yourself today. How can I make it known that I love the people around me? Linked in with that is my third point, which is this, that love, to give it meaning, is specific and personal. That's why I got you to look around and have a look at the other warm bodies sat next to you. This is a specific thing, not a philosophical thing. Um, I read a commentator called C.H. Dodd. If you're a student of theology, he's, he's well known. But he says this, It's easy to be enthusiastic about humanity, with a capital H, and to love individual human beings, men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, and depraved. Loving everybody in general may actually be an excuse for loving no one in particular. And that actually hit me between the eyes when I read that. I thought, you know, I really don't go around hating anyone. I find that very hard work. And I don't look to work harder than I need to. But that is not the same as loving someone. And although I value and love this community that, that, that has loved and cherished me, I need to go further and find individuals to pull that out into and make it real. The words of the song have never been so relevant, have they? Find somebody to love. It's easier said than done, finding a real person and actually loving them. Because what you then find is they're not the ideal person and neither are you. And you don't have as much patience as you thought you had. And you don't have as much forbearance and tolerance as you thought you had. And of course, therein is the place that we grow and we become more like Jesus. Because Jesus made it specific every single page that you read. He went to individuals. All his stories are about individuals. And people that he met. Specific people that he met and got to know very, very quickly. And you know what? Structures in church can help with that. It's very difficult. Now, you're going to, if I said, stand up and find somebody to love, goodness knows what would happen. None of you would move, actually, is what would happen, because this is Britain, that you wouldn't move an inch. But we have things like life groups, we have things like prayer triplets, we have ministry teams, and we have um, volunteer teams, things that you can get involved in. And although they, they usually have a purpose, something for which they, they have been created, they do also provide micro-communities in which we can get to know each other. And in them, you gradually find, you know what, I love these people. And glory be, they love me too. And it takes time, and it takes sacrifice, and it takes forbearance and training and, and change. But gradually, through these structures, we find people that we can connect with and really love as individuals, warts and all, 
and not just this general philosophical ideal. Fourth point, love the actual, not the ideal. I think this is the third time I've stood up and said this, uh, once in the evening here, once in my seminar, and once here now. Must be must be something I, I sort of think is important. But there is a tendency to look upon the Christian community as an idealized thing, and when it lets you down, you no longer love it. Happens all the time. And um, a guy called Bonhoeffer, a very famous German theologian who, who, who ministered and died during the, the persecution in, the, in, in Nazi Germany, wrote this. He says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that community because their personal intentions, though they may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial, are actually damaging. In other words, you set an ideal up here for what other people should be like in order to qualify for your love, and actually they come in down here, and then you stop loving them. There is no, that scale just doesn't exist. It's just not there. It makes us judges and juries of other people. It makes our love conditional. It makes it very unchristlike. And this is the context of Romans, 1 John, Galatians, and many other passages in the New Testament. Proud, self-important people who set a standard for others to hit that had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. So love the actual and not the ideal. Make it specific. Make it distinctive and demonstrative and make it centered on Jesus. Final point. Love is spectacularly giving. Now I know, because I know some of your stories, just how fantastic the church can be when someone hits a rocky patch, when when disaster strikes. And then the secret stories that you hear years later of how people stepped in and gave this or did that are humbling. And I think this church is rich in that spectacular sacrificial giving to people when disaster strikes. There is one other challenge that I think we have to face as a church generally, and not necessarily this church, but any church. How loving are we, not when disaster strikes a church, but when a person offends the church or becomes temporarily fallen or in a place of sin or whatever you want to call it. That's when real love kicks in. When, when, when Paul writes in his disciplinary passages uh, about people in the church, he's saying restore them. They are to be restored. The exception is those who divide the church by false teaching. He says just, you know, you need to deal with them. But our love is so powerful that we can restore those who've offended our ideals, who've fallen short of the standards we expect. When people fall or fail, when they can't live up to the ideals or standards around them, then Christian love kicks in and restores them. And that is an antidote to the social norms you'll see around you. That is a test of true love. When someone who perhaps ought to be judged is not. And the community's love for them is really tested, but that's when it shines. When it really shows what Jesus' love was all about. Because there was nobody more offended against than Jesus Christ by his closest friends. No one. No one in history. When Jesus died, he was alone. He starts out with 
thousands, he whittled it down to 72, and then to 12, and then to two or three. And at this moment, he gave everything. There were none. But his dying words were, Father, forgive them. A loving community is not a conditional one. There's no contract here. It's a covenant. It's a relationship of love and forgiveness and trust and restoration. A really loving community will therefore be a place of mess because there will always be things going on which are not the ideal and something which we need to fix and put right, but which we are willing to do so. It's a try-try-again community where fallen people are lifted up and restored. It's hard to do love in 20 minutes. Um, you know, it's a massive subject. It's hard to do community as well in 20 minutes. So I hope you'll forgive that whistle-stop tour and, and just that, that maybe that, that collection of ideas together.